Welcome to the Rock Ag Podcast. This is your host, Garrett Coffey, Ag and Natural Resource Agent for the University of Kentucky in Rockcastle County. Today, we will be joined by Dr. Matthew Springer, Assistant Extension Professor of Wildlife Management for the University of Kentucky. We'll be discussing food plots, how to plan for food plots, and how to implement those on your farm or in your wildlife habitat. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Springer. Uh, we're glad to have you on. We're going to discuss some wildlife food plots today and uh, try to figure out what we need to be doing and where we need to be planning and, and some things to think about for our wildlife plots coming up for this year. So glad to have you on. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us today. The first question I have for you is that, so we're, we're at the end of February, right around the 1st of March. And what are some things that you would say that I need to start planning for for my food plot? Um, sure. Where do I need to start thinking? Yeah, so I'm um, glad to be here and, and thanks for inviting me on. Um, I think, you know, more most important thing to start out with if you're thinking about a food plot is um, you want to do a few things. You want to, uh, you know, take stock of what is on your property and what's surrounding your property where you think you may want to put a food plot. Um, you want to know what is available to these animals. What are they um, basically, are, are they, they have a lot of food already? Do they have um, food only during certain periods of time, you know, spring, summer, fall, and they're missing a lot of winter food source or vice versa. Um, so you want to kind of take stock of what's on your property and what's around your property. And then you, when you identify that void, you want to try to fill it. Um, now, you also have to keep in mind, what are you going to use this food plot for? Is it trying to raise the nutritional value of the property to these animals? Uh, or is it you're going to use this for photography or the most popular reason, right, is, is hunting? Um, so if that's the reason, then you have to think about, you know, am I going to try to put this in um, so I can have animals using the food plot during hunting season, which could potentially alter your, your plans? Um, but first and foremost, after you kind of take stock of the situation, um, you want to identify a location on the property that'll work that you have access to, uh, that you can get in uh, with the equipment you need to put the food plot in, that you can, you know, make sure that you're able to keep up with maintenance and looking for weeds, uh, treat it as needed, um, and then take a soil sample. Definitely need a soil sample. Right. Um, just, you know, you, you go from, from a wildlife manager to you're now a farmer. So start thinking like a farmer, what does my soil look like? You know, what does it potentially need? And that's where you kind of come in, right. As the County yeah. agent and, and helping that process move along. Um, and there's a, you know, we do have ample resources out there and how to, to go about that. And uh, to be honest, you guys are way better at that process in terms of knowledge and, and what should happen than I am. So um, my comment usually is talk to your county agent at this point and let them kind of guide you through what you need to do. I think whenever we take soil samples, uh, one thing that I always um, need to ask someone whenever we're talking about a soil sample is that I'm going to have different recommendations for clovers as opposed to growing wheat crops or as opposed to growing something like turnips or those kind of things. So, you know, to have that knowledge ahead of time to kind of know the direction that you want to go with your food plot really helps out for our recommendations on soil tests as well. 
Absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that whole taking stock part and what I kind of skipped over there is that that kind of helps you understand what you may be interested in planning. Um, and, you know, you kind of need to make that decision, as you said, before you go get that soil sample, because, the you know, the recommendations are going to be geared towards what you're thinking about planting. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, um, a monoculture food plot is not usually the best thing. Um, we generally advise folks to try to plant multiple species that are going to interact with each other in a beneficial way. Uh, for example, you know, if you want to use turnips, uh, you plant it with winter wheat as a nursery crop, and then you can frost seed it with clover when the turnips are done. Um, and all of a sudden you got a, a, a pretty good mix going on there uh, for food sources that vary in both nutritional quality and availability. That was something that I had written down on my notes here is that, you know, if we're obviously we need to think about what kind of species we want to attract, but also, you know, with with a that multi-species crop, we're, I think, going to attract some multi-species as far as the wildlife that come to it. Yes, sir. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be that mix. I mean, there's some um, some, um, you know, a lot of folks like planting corn for a food plot. Um, there's several uh, things that will mix in with that um, that'll grow up underneath the corn, uh, especially, um, you know, thinking like cover crops, right? So we, we use cover crops in farming and, and usually we um, seed them after that corn is already up and they start growing. Well, um, those cover crops are providing a food source as that corn starts to go out, those cover crops are usually greening up and nutritional quality is increasing. Uh, so, you know, anytime you can find, um, mixes um that'll work together it's a good thing um you know monocultures are great a clover field has value uh however it's a whole lot better if there's three or four other things in there with it for sure right. so uh on that um i'm i'm looking so it's kind of rolls right into the next question is you know what should be we be looking at to seed in our mixtures and one question that i have you've kind of started on that already but a lot of times I see, um, you know, advertised in, you know, magazines or at, at outdoor stores and they have these special clover blends and some of them are going to be expensive. And, you know, I can run down here to my local farm store and get some clover seed for probably three, four dollars a pound. You know, are we really going to see a great benefit to using those wildlife mixtures or, you know, what's your opinion on that? Well, um, you know, every seed is made different, right? Um, and every seed company packages things differently. Um, there's always concerns uh, whenever you buy a seed mix from somewhere that, you know, you're getting what you're actually buying, right? You're not getting a whole bunch of other weed seeds mixed in there. So, you, you know, there's basic concerns with that. Um, so you don't necessarily want to buy the rock bottom prices because you want to make sure that you're not introducing something into the field that shouldn't be there. However, um, I, you know, when you, you pick up a bag of um, food plot mix at a store, you know, it could be a brand name, it could be generic. Um, you want to look at things, um, you know, that we would normally look at for farmers, you know, your seeding rate per acre. Uh, and you start, you know, breaking that down, looking at how much does this cost to plant this per acre versus the generic. And sometimes the generic may require a higher seeding rate. So it may be less per pound cost wise, but may require more seed. Um, so you want to look at those two things rather than looking at the, the major nutritional differences um, in the seed itself. Because realistically, um, being in Kentucky and the quality of soils that we have, the vegetation uh, quality is 
directly correlated with those soils. Um, our wildlife species really are not food limited or nutritionally limited in this state. Now, there's some exceptions where you look in, in eastern Kentucky in the hills where they're heavily dependent upon mast. If it's a bad mass year, that's a bad, you know, that's a year that they're probably going to be looking right. for food sources to help carry them through. But if you're thinking about, is this food plot going to give you a bigger antler? Is mineral licks going to give you a bigger antler? The science actually doesn't back that up. Okay. It's um, food plots are really good for one thing. They put, they attract animals to a certain location and in extreme weather events, they can help potentially carry them through like okay. we just experienced. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of whether or not you need to spend that extra $150 an acre on a brand name seed, it's probably not going to translate to bigger antlers if that's what you're hoping for. Okay. Well, I know one thing that we always recommend or that I do anyway, I, I was actually in the seed business, farm supply business for a while. And to make sure that whatever you're seeding, make sure that it's certified seed. You know, like you said, make sure that it's not just something that you're going to get some weed seeds or, you know, inert matter and stuff. So we always recommend to, to buy those certified seeds, whatever you're buying for sure. Okay. So, with that, you know, and and I like the way that you kind of rolled into the wheat and the turnips and the and the frost seeded clovers a while ago. And you know, we're looking, we we need to plan ahead for what we want to attract and what we're trying to feed at the time and when we want them to be there. So, you know, if if we want, when should we start seeding? When do we need to start thinking about seeding? specific like clovers and that kind of stuff when, when do you see that sure so um you know whenever you decide what you're going to pick um you want to start looking at um you know the zone that you're in uh the seed is going to have a recommended planting date uh associated with that um so the big thing that i like to talk about with this kind of question is you know you got two major groups of options for for food plots you have your cool season and your warm season growing plants um, so being March right now, we're not really thinking about planting cool season plants a whole lot in spring and in, in, in March, you know, March and April, um, because their growing season will basically be March and April, and then they're going to shut off because it's going to get too hot. So if you're thinking about planting things like, um, corn, soybean, now would be a time that you need to start making your preparations to get that in the ground come April, May. Um, now if we're looking at cool season plants, um, and you know, a lot of those will be growing during, uh, the vast majority of our hunting season, um, or through into, you know, December or January, um, you're looking at potential planting dates around August. Um, you know, there's some, it, it varies by what you're planting, but, um, you know, you're looking at April, May for summer, you know, the warm season stuff and, um, late July, August, September for your cool season plants. Uh, so those are the kind of timeframes you want to keep in mind. Now, you know, there may be some preparation you need to do. So like if I was getting ready to plant a warm, warm season, um, mix here, uh, in May, I'm already going to be out there figuring out exactly what's going on. Where do I want to put this? Um, pull my soil samples and start thinking about how do I prep that ground to get, get my seed in there. And that could include some um, herbicide prep that may include some soil d disturbance, you know, disking, um, completely plowing it up, you know? Um, so it, it kind of depends on each person's given um, situation, but, you know, basic, basically you're, you're, you're looking at um, the same starting steps of soil sample, 
pre um, setup, you know, herbicide, soil disturbance, and then looking at your planting dates um, for your seed and seeding rates. Yeah. Well, I know that that a lot of times we, you know, in July, I think, well, you know, deer season's coming up here in September and October, and I'm going to seed some clover. But, you know, that's typically not a great idea to be doing that because you're not going to get the benefit out of it. The seed's not going to germinate and do like it should. So make sure that you are with the seeds and, you know, the right planting dates and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff for sure. So in that, how how what size do these food plots need to be is there a, a certain size that i shouldn't go below is there a certain size that i shouldn't go over uh, you know what what do that need to look like exactly well um it kind of depends on on the goals of of the food plot um so if you're thinking that you're going to use this uh food plot for something like uh hunting um archery hunting especially um you may want to actually make a smaller food plot to try to concentrate those deer or the deer activity in a certain area um if you think that you're going to try to use the food plot especially this happens down um, south where soil quality drops drastically right so you have incredibly clay soil um it's not as um there's a lot of those nutrients are bound up in the soil and they don't get into that vegetative matter um where food plots you know where, where this really all oh, this push came from is is in the south because their soil is so bad and, and um they will plant very large fields uh, because the entire point of that food plot is basically just raise the nutritional availability to those animals. So all the forage that's out there, right? So uh, a lot of folks know are familiar with cattle. We just want to raise the forage quantity that's in the landscape um, to basically allow there, there to be more um, biomass that can be consumed. With Kentucky, I would say you don't necessarily need those large, large food plots, right? Mentioned how these animals really aren't nutritionally limited. So it, it depends on your goals. Now, if you're going to use the food plot for um, firearm hunting, they can be a lot larger, right? Your capability of, of being lethal is a little bit further. Um, you know, there's not evidence to point that one is more effective at attracting deer uh, than another. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be try to experiment with what works for you. What do you have equipment that allows you to do, right? So if you don't have access to a tractor, your ability to put a large food plot in is really difficult because right. um, there is some throwing, there's a scrape up, you know, get a rake, you can rake up some soil and, and throw some stuff out, um, you know, that you may be able to get like a, a 20th of an acre covered, but it may be enough to attract a deer to it. So yeah. it kind of depends on your given situation. And, and I would say that you don't, you know, anything that's like a quarter acre or half acre or below would be, we call, you know, a hunting plot for archery. Uh, but a lot of folks, you know, acre two, three is, is not uncommon. Um, and anything that, you know, if you're down South, anything that's over five acres is usually called a, a feeding plot, not necessarily a hunting plot. Okay. Whenever we think about uh, going out and there's two parts to this question. The first part is, is that whenever we think about the location of this food plot, Obviously, there's places that are going to be more attractive to the wildlife in that, you know, I've got a couple of hay fields that are probably 20 acres. I don't need to go in the center of that hay field where there's no cover close by to, to do a food plot. I mean, so probably along the edge of the woods, would you say would be a better in that situation? 
Absolutely. Um, you want to be, you know, thinking about the purpose of the food plot. Um, you know, if you're going to hunt it, you're going to want to position these in almost a balancing act between how do I access this food plot without disturbing the wildlife versus how do I make it as accessible to the wildlife as possible where they feel comfortable in using it. So put like, as you said, putting it in the middle of a hay field, they're going to have to walk wide open to get there. That's not going to feel very good for them. If you have it right on the edge and there's, you know, their bedding areas a hundred yards away and there's a lot of cover, they're more likely to use that more frequently. So, um, absolutely want to consider, you know, where are the animals already using on your landscape, you know, in your property, what areas are already being used and how do I put a food plot to ba- make that balancing act work? Yeah. So the other side of that is, is that, and we kind of talked about it just a little bit, but you know, if we're trying to get something very secluded in that we can't even, you know, get maybe even a four wheeler ATV to it, you know, to try to work up some ground or is there some stuff that we can, you know, maybe even go back under the trees and plant that would help or is there, are we going to need light for pretty much food plots on those? Well, there, there, there are some mixtures that are sold um, that are meant for, you know, the situation you're talking about. Um, They're not going to be as successful in terms of the biomass that's produced uh, their competition, you know, level with light. So you're, you're not going to have this nice, very, you know, thick stand of, of, of vegetative material. Um, you may get these patches of growth where conditions were right. So if you go out there with a rake, you scrape up underneath a couple oaks, um, it's completely shaded. You throw out this mix that's meant to grow in the shade. You're probably going to have some growth that goes on. However, there's a lot of competition there um, that those seeds are going to compete against. So it's not going to be perfect, but it still may be enough to get that goal of attracting animals into that location. Um, so it's, it's, it's not one that's generally recommended to do because it's what we you could call high risk. And, you know, so it's not as likely to be successful in terms of, of getting established. Um, it's, you know, I would say go as far as you can go with the equipment you have and get it as secluded as possible. Um, uh, it'd be a better decision than trying to do one of those, um, you know, rake and throw kind of uh, yeah. plots. Yeah, we want to set it up for success and make sure that we're getting some benefit from it for sure. And, and more so even benefit to the wildlife that we're trying to attract to it for sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a quick scenario and um, let you answer it and say, you know, here's what I would do in this situation. So I have, um, I have a farm that's got a hay field on it that we, we, um, cut some hay on and I see a lot of deer obviously around the edges they cross through it a lot I see them it's completely surrounded by woods and and I have a pretty good population of deer there uh, there's some really good uh, bedding areas on both sides and so talk about the location and I want to attract a wide range of wildlife I mean, you know, whenever I say wide range, I'm talking about turkeys. It may be even quail. I do see a few of those. That's hard to imagine. I know, but I do see a few and even some deer. And I'm going to, you know, I want to benefit the wildlife, but I also want to use it for a hunting area as well. So kind of guide me through that. Well, I got another question for you. Okay. Do you want to keep it as an income generating property with hay? I I do. Yes, sir. Okay. That's, that's an important part of this because, Um, you know, if you were, if you had a field like that and you weren't as concerned about the income, I would tell you to, to contact NRCS and get a plan there and potentially put some native grasses in. 
Yeah. Um, you know, a pollinator mix uh, would be one that, you know, that's got a lot of wildlife benefits uh, for a diverse group, um, you know, for, you know, the non-game species of the birds all the way up, you know, the pollinators and all the way up that those mixes have direct benefits on quail, um, turkey and, and deer and elk. So the ones, you know, you could check off almost everything there. Um, I would say that, you know, if you want to, um, given the situation, you don't want to make any drastic changes. Um, I would, you know, benefits for quail and turkey would be if you can try to alter your cut times on the hay. Um, you know, I know that first cut is so important. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like the worst possible time for turkey nesting and quail nesting it, you know, and fawning. Um, it's tough. So what you potentially could do, and, and, you know, it's so weather driven is you could try to cut, you know, strips where you may be able to, to get the animals, um, you know, go and cut a strip the first day and the animals may, because of that disturbance, get out of the field. Um, and therefore you have less of an impact, but, um, I would, you know, if you have cover, um, for bedding and everything else, um, if you're looking to just improve things, you could try to put a food plot in, um, what kind of, I got another question for you. What kind of mix is in the field? Is it just straight up fescue? So we'll have a mix of, you know, most, most of our hay fields are going to have primarily fescue orchard grass and then with a little bit of legume in it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you can, if you feel like you can up that legume content, you know, more clovers uh, over time, obviously, you know, you don't go in the area. That's a huge change, uh, but that's going to have some benefit. Um, you could go in that back corner. If you're willing to give up a corner of the property, um, you could put in some, um, you could put a food plot in. Uh, if you did, I would choose a, a, a mixture of, um, you know, they've got some stuff out there that'll have a little bit of everything for deer, turkey, quail. Um, it's got, uh, your, your plants that are going to have the smaller seeds, um, for them. Um, the big thing, you know, unfortunately, the, one of the reasons we have a big decline in, in quail is the fescue fields are not great habitat for them. They have a hard time even just getting through them. Um, they're not a great food source. So, um, if you have any interest, one of the things that we would talk about is you could potentially, if you, um, we're open to switching to a native grazing, gamma grass, uh, big blue stem switchgrass, Indian grass, um, which still could be used for grazing haying. That is going to have a drastic increase um, in benefit to wildlife while still maintaining your production ability. And we're trying to push that right now in Kentucky, to be honest. Um, but it's a, it's a national push to kind of diversify into some more warm season grasses. Um, and even if you did, you know, we're open to trying just like two or three acres at back by the woods that would have a huge effect, um, on, on the wildlife, just because of, you know, um, one of the benefits to fescue orchard grass is there's not a whole lot of insect pests. Um, well, insect pests is food for quail and Turkey. Um, so that's, it's, it's just a transition. It's what you're willing to do. Um, if you can alter your cutting, um, time frame a little bit, or just try to change how you do things. It can have a pretty big benefit. However, yeah, you got to make a living and I get that. Right. Um, so doing that food plots kind of like, if you can give up just a little bit, that would help. If you are open to uh, bigger conversions, I would say that's going to have a much more of an impact, a positive impact on the wildlife in your property. Uh, and then something I'm glad you mentioned it just a minute ago was the, through the NRCS is, I, is that the equip? Is that what that's listed under now? 
Uh, so it depends on the practice. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah. that is available. That is something that's available that you can, if you want to convert major portions, they, they will help you with that and, and do that. Yeah. And, you know, it's in some situations, I think the pollinator program is still going. Um, and that's a pretty lucrative program um, for folks if they are willing to take it out. Uh, obviously, there's more to it than just say, oh, yeah, you can just take it out. Right. Um, but it's one that um, for certain folks, it may be worth at least asking about and get the information. Um, it's I th the payments, the acreage payments are probably more than you'd make a year haying normally. Um, however, there's obviously some, some land change there and, and what happens if, you know, like crap, it goes away. Um, you know, there's, there's concerns with that, uh, as well. Uh, and, and rightfully so. Right. Definitely be something to discuss with, with several people, if you were interested in something like that. Okay. Well, I think that's about all I have. Do you have any last thoughts for us before we go? Uh, I guess the, the, Keep in mind with food plots, um, they are a very popular management tool for hunters. Uh, the big message, you know, from the wildlife management side, the biologist side, a food plot is a tool that should be used. It should not be the only tool used. And to be honest, um, the, the recommendation is about one to 2% of the land area should be in a food plot. So all those other habitat pieces are much more important than food plots. So make sure you recognize if you need habitat, um, other habitat in your area, that should be a more of a priority than a food plot. Um, and then always reach out to your county ag agent with your extension agent for help. Uh, and don't overlook the NRCS uh, office, FSA office to help you try to accomplish some of these programs. That's one thing that I always say in my podcast is that we have tons of resources, uh, you know, come, come to the extension office. I mean, if I don't know, I can contact you and I mean, we can come out and look at it and we can check it out and, and we can really send you down the right direction for sure. Yeah. If I, if, I'm, if it's outside of wildlife, I'm calling my uh, agent in Franklin County. So <laughs> I use the resource just as much. It's such a, it's such a wonderful resource to have. So absolutely. We appreciate you joining us today, Dr. Springer. Glad to be here and have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. You do the same. Thanks for joining us today on the Rock Ag Podcast. If you would like any more information on the content of this podcast, please contact Gary Coffee at the Rockcastle County Extension Office. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast.